All right, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing this morning? It's good to see you. And uh, my name's Aaron. Super glad you're here this morning, especially if this is your first time at Trailhead. Welcome. We're really glad you've decided to come worship with us this morning. And uh, we hope that you will find this service as sort of our gift to you this morning. If you would, please grab your Bibles. We are doing a series in the book of Proverbs. And so we'd love for you to open up to Proverbs chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you look under the seat in front of you, you should find a hardback copy there. You can use that. Um, If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one with you. That's our gift to you because we would like for you to take the Bible and read it yourself. Investigate what we're saying, check it out, see if I'm just making all this stuff up or if this is really what the Bible says. So if you're in one of those hardback Bibles, we're on page 547. This is Proverbs chapter 25, and we're going to look at two verses in Proverbs, and then we're going to jump around quite a bit this morning and compare uh, what Solomon says in Proverbs to some other sections of Scripture. But if you would, follow with me. I'm going to read Proverbs 25, starting in verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you the word of the Lord. So I'm just going to be honest. This is an interesting and in some ways very straightforward and in some ways very sort of strange passage, okay? Um, Lots of stuff that that we could talk about as we look at these couple of verses, as we look at um, this wisdom from Solomon. On, on the, the, the surface level, I'll, I'll be honest, when I read these verses, the first thing that jumps out at me that is just kind of strange is he's talking about enemies. And I just got to say, like, the word enemy to me doesn't quite resonate, I think, the way it would have with, with Solomon's readers when he first wrote this. So when I hear enemy, right, I think of like, I don't know, Batman and the Joker sort of a thing, you know, like... This is like maybe, maybe hostile nations, maybe the Cubs. I don't know. Enemy to me, I don't, what? Enemy to me is like somebody who's like, you know, cloak and dagger trying to kill me sort of a thing. And most of us probably don't have people like that in our lives. But I think as we look through this and if we compare throughout scripture, here's what I think will help us this morning. Okay, and this does hit pretty close to home. An enemy is anybody that we come into conflict with. And all of us deal with conflicts. Some harsher than others. Some to a point that maybe we would call those people our enemies. But we all deal with conflicts at different times. In fact, what's maybe ironic is that, that most of our conflicts are the people that we would call our friends. Our relatives. The people who definitely should not be our enemies. Our coworkers. So as we walk through these passages this morning, instead of focusing on and getting hung up on this idea of like enemies being these, these, you know, villains with spears or something, let's think about conflicts that we have. And and it could be a long-running conflict, or it could be those day-to-day sort of conflicts that arise that that have the potential to, to build up and grow to something bigger than what they start out as. But uh, overall, as we look at these verses, I want to think about conflict and I want to think about what Solomon is saying and and what God is saying through Solomon to us about how we deal with conflict and how we relate to the people that we're in conflict with. 
Again, this is sort of straightforward, but there are a lot of questions that come up in my mind. So here's how I want to walk through this this morning. I want to look at, I've got kind of four questions I want to talk about and look at and kind of unpack as we go through this scripture and see exactly what it is that God's saying to us and what what Solomon's sort of exhorting us to do. And, And as we said previously, Proverbs is all about wisdom. So what is Solomon telling us here is wise and how can we live in this wisdom as it relates to conflict, as it relates to our relationships, as it relates to those times when we just sort of butt heads with people. So here's a couple of questions that popped up in my mind. And the first one I think that we have to address because it's pretty important as it relates to this and that's this, what, what exactly is Solomon asking us to do here? So he says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. What, what's he saying? Because there's a difference, I think, in the way he's approaching conflict that, that's different than how most of us approach conflict, okay? Um, so I used to teach um, speech and speech communications to high schoolers, and when I did that, I always started out, when, when we would talk about speech, I would always start by talking about stage fright, because um, when people have to speak publicly, stage fright is a major issue, for pretty much everybody. And I would always explain to them that that's actually because of the way that God created you. Because all of us have, God gave us this thing called adrenaline. And adrenaline was given to us by God for a specific reason because it kicks in in times of high stress. Okay, hang with me because this goes with conflict. Because what happens is when we have times of high stress in our lives, then, then God's equipped us with this this. this thing called adrenaline that that raises our energy level and it leads us to one of two responses usually. And here's where this connects. So when we get into conflict, we usually have one of two responses, okay? Our our usual responses are either, and we refer to this, this is how I would teach it to, to my students and this is true in conflict as well. Our response to conflict is usually fight or flight. Have you ever, you've heard those terms before, fight or flight? right? So, so when something stressful happens, your energy level rises and you can do one of two things. You can either run away. And so that adrenaline that, that God gives us, that, that, that sort of surge of energy we use to, to, you know, pick up speed and get away from the conflict as fast as we can. Or you can engage and then we need the extra energy to, to, rise, to raise our strength, to raise our stamina, to be able to engage the battle. So that's how most of us deal with conflict as well. So in a relationship, in a a difficult time in our life, if if it's at work or if it's with our, our family or whatever it is, our tendency naturally is to either engage in battle or to to kind of step back, run away, try to hide from battle. We're either very passive or we're very aggressive. Or some of us have mastered the art of being both passive and aggressive at the same time. But in in any case, we either want to attack, we want to win, we want to knock the other person down, we want to prove that we're better, that we're right. So we fight, or we just want to get away. We just have an aversion to conflict, we don't like it, I just want to hide from it, I just want to step back, I just want to get away. What Solomon is suggesting here is that we do neither of those, but rather that there's a third way 
to approach conflict. And it's totally counterintuitive to us. You probably have sort of a, a predilection to one or the other. And you probably know when you're in conflict, you tend to either fight or, 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 or run away to f- fly, I guess you would say. Solomon's suggesting that we do neither. That instead, we lean in and we engage, but not in battle, but we engage in service. That rather than fighting our enemies, we love our enemies. And not, now listen, and this is key, and this is kind of what this whole thing hangs on this morning. And, and let's be clear at the outset, this is very difficult, okay? This is very difficult teaching. This is a very difficult uh, exhortation. This is not something easy. Because what Solomon is suggesting is that we love our enemies not just in word, because that's easy to do, to say, I, I, I love them. But rather that we love them in our deeds as well. That we seek out ways to actively serve those we are in conflict with. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Not just if your enemy is hungry, tell him how much you love him. If, if your enemy is thirsty, tell him you will pray that he finds water. But rather, if your enemy is hungry, you actively be the solution to his hunger. In times of conflict, Solomon is saying that instead of running into battle and fighting and proving that we're right and fighting to win, and rather than retreating and just getting as far as possible as we can away from that person, that instead we seek actively to serve the person that we're in conflict with. Now, why would we do that? Well, he actually answers that question, but in verse 22, his answer to why we would do that is a little bit confusing. Let's be honest. Look at verse 22. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So here's my second question this morning. What's the deal with the burning coals? Like, what is this about? This sounds um, torturous, right? Like, this sounds pretty painful, heaping burning coals on somebody's head. What does that mean? And why? Because he says for, meaning if you do this, this is why you should be doing it. Why should we be serving our enemies in order to heap burning coals on their heads? Now, I'm going to be honest. Uh, As I was studying this week, I found that there are actually a few different interpretations of what this verse means. Not all Bible scholars agree. So I'm going to present you with a couple different options. But at the same time, um, just to be upfront, I don't think they're all equally valid. And I'm not going to pretend to be unbiased in this. I think there's a right answer. Um, and I don't think the others quite match up. But, but here's a couple of different possibilities. One is that straight up heaping burning coals is a way of getting vengeance or revenge. And this is, Bible scholars say this. In fact, one, one commentator I read said, this is the best kind of revenge. To be kind to your enemies 
just to really stick it to them. Okay? And they will just be so, and, and it's torture. It's burning coals on their head. They're just going to be crushed by your acts of service towards them. Now, I'm probably not being very subtle in letting you know that I don't think this is at all what Solomon's trying to say, but it's kind of a popular interpretation. So I want to show you why I don't think that fits at all. Um, And part of the reason is because of something in the book of Romans. So if you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and the reason... I want to go to Romans chapter 12 is because the Apostle Paul, in writing to uh, the early church in Rome, actually quoted this scripture that we're looking at. He actually quoted Proverbs 25. And here's what he said. Let's start in verse, uh, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, this is God speaking, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul is talking here specifically about trusting in God to take care of our conflicts and our battles and instead following him and obeying him by showing kindness to others. And he quotes this scripture and he uses it and he says, to the contrary, in other words, this is in contrast to what? To seeking vengeance on our own. So it can't possibly mean to heap burning coals as a way of seeking vengeance because Paul is using those very words as a contrast to the idea of seeking vengeance. This is pretty important here. What Paul is saying in these verses is that as Christ works in us, And our minds are transformed by the love of Christ. And the more we trust in God to seek out vengeance for us, then the more we are able to release that idea, that that need to fight, that need to win, that need to, to get revenge on those who have hurt us. And we are instead free to leave that to God, to trust God to fight our battles, to trust God to be the one who seeks vengeance, and instead we are free to love and serve others. So the burning coals can't, I believe by this context, can't mean it's a way to get vengeance. It just doesn't fit. There's a second popular interpretation, and this one I think people like because it sounds nice, but again, it doesn't quite fit with the context. The second interpretation that I found pretty frequently is that this was in context of the time period, talking about another possible way, heaping burning coals was another possible way actually to serve someone. And here's what what the explanation is. So in Solomon's day, homes were heated, obviously not by electricity or by gas, but rather by, you know, a fireplace with coal. And if your neighbor were to come to you and his coal had gone out and he asked you, for a coal to rekindle his fire, that you were, if you were generous, if you were kind, you might give him a a burning coal. But if you were abundantly generous, 
you would give him so many burning coals that he wouldn't be able to carry all of them. And so as would fit with the time period, he would hold a container on his head and you would heap all those burning coals into the container and he would walk back to his home with these burning coals heaped on his head, not literally on his head in a painful way, but just that's the way he would carry them. And so therefore, when Solomon says you will heap burning coals on his head, they're actually talking about giving abundantly over and above what you would need to give. Just this hugely generous act of service, which sounds awesome, but I don't think it fits. And you'll have to pardon me a little bit because this is a little bit of the English teacher in me. It doesn't fit linguistically. It doesn't fit the language. It doesn't fit the flow of what Solomon's saying. Okay, because Solomon is saying, if your enemy's hungry, serve him. If he's thirsty, give him drink, because then you will. And it doesn't make any sense to say, if you give your enemy bread, if you give your enemy water, then you will be doing something else nice for him. Like to say, here's a good thing to do, here's a good thing to do, because it would do a good thing. It doesn't make any sense. And I would add this. If we look at the end of the verse, it says, and the Lord will reward you. If we look at it as saying, do good things, do good things, and then you'll be doing good things and God will reward you. What I believe it sets up is sort of this this idea that we do good things for others so that we'll get rewards from God. If I serve my enemy, then God will give me blessings. If I serve you when we're in conflict, then God's going to smile on me. And he's going to give me what I need or what I want. But if we look throughout scripture, that's, that's not the way things work. We don't do good so that we can get good. In fact, the whole paradigm of scripture, the entire story from the beginning to the end is that God does good for us when we don't deserve it. So the Lord will reward you here has to be talking about something else and in a different way. So here's what I think from my study and from a couple of scriptures I'm going to show you. Here's what I think the burning coals mean. I think if I understand it correctly, that heaping burning coals is actually a metaphor and a picture of a means of purification that brings people to repentance. And I'll explain what that means, and I want to show you a couple places. One of them goes back before Proverbs, and that's to the book of Leviticus. If you're interested, flip back to Leviticus chapter 16. This is on page 95 in the book of Leviticus. God was giving the nation of Israel a whole bunch of guidelines for different ceremonies, different rules that they would follow as they attempted to follow him. And in the book of Leviticus, he talks to the high priest Aaron and he explains to him rituals that he's going to carry out on a day called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a day when the priests made sacrifices to atone for the sins, both of their family and for the nation as a whole. In other words, this was, these were the sacrifices that were made in order to make things right between the people and God. And so God is giving instructions to Aaron, the high priest, on what he should do on this day, on the day of atonement, to make things right. 
And it says, starting uh, in verse number 12, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire. There it is, burning coals from the altar before the Lord. And two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. A whole bunch of complicated and and technical stuff going on here, but here's the overall point. Aaron the high priest was supposed to take burning coals mixed with incense and the fragrance from them were supposed to be presented as a way of purifying his family and presenting to God as as a way of, of making atonement, as a way of asking for forgiveness and then receiving forgiveness from God as a way of cleansing them from their sins. And then again, and so this was before Solomon spoke in Proverbs, but then after Proverbs, in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, if you would flip over there as well. Isaiah chapter 6, something similar happens. And so I'm just looking, and what do burning coals mean? And I'm looking at different references in the Bible. And the prophet Isaiah had a vision, and it was a vision of God. And to see God in his glory and in his holiness drove Isaiah to say this in verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King The Lord of hosts, when Isaiah saw God in his glory for who he really was, it drove him to his knees to fall down and to say, I am unclean. When we get a glimpse of who we truly are in comparison to who God truly is, it drives us to this sense of how unclean, how unworthy, how unholy we truly are. And then look what happens Then one of the seraphim, which is an angel, flew to me, having in his hand, here it is, a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So again, the image of a burning coal, and the purpose of it, the effect of it, is to cleanse sin. So how does that all fit with Proverbs, and what does that have to do with serving people? Here's what Solomon's trying to say to us. When we serve those we are in conflict with, it has the effect of bringing up within them, it can have the effect of bringing up within them repentance a feeling of of guilt, a feeling possibly of pain, but a pain not that drives them to hatred and, and makes you feel like you've won and them feel like, oh, you beat me, you got me good, but instead a feeling of guilt and a feeling of unholiness that drives them to God, that drives them to seek forgiveness from God and to seek a cleansing that only God can bring. And so when he says, the Lord will reward you, he's not talking about us getting like earthly, physical, or material gain. But instead, the reward that he's talking about is for our enemies 
for those we're in conflict with, and probably us ourselves, to be brought to a place of repentance, to a place of brokenness, to a place where we acknowledge our own sin to a point that God then will work in us and cleanse us and purify us of that sin. Now, all that to say, does it matter? I mean, okay, so this is kind of an obscure phrase. It probably had some kind of context for Solomon's day, maybe not so much to us. Does it matter? I mean, shouldn't we just look at verse 21? If your enemy's hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And let's do that. Why worry about the second verse? Here's what I believe. I believe it does matter because I believe our motivation matters. Okay? God gives us commands. God asks us to do things. Why we do them matters. Over and over and over again throughout scriptures, what we hear and what we find taught is that God is much more concerned, listen to me, God is much more concerned with our hearts than he is with our actions. Why we do things is much more important to God than what we do. Okay, so in other words, doing good to our enemies for the purpose of really getting them back Doing good in sort of a manipulative way to try to earn vengeance. That's not pleasing to God at all. That's not what Solomon's talking about here at all. Doing good to our enemies because we think that that will get us some kind of points with God. That's not what Solomon's talking about either. Our motivation, our heart matters. So we talked a lot last week about how when we approach Proverbs, we have to ask ourselves, are, are we seeking human wisdom or are we seeking God's wisdom? And human wisdom tells us that we approach conflicts looking for how we can win or how we can benefit from it. And God views things completely differently. So godly wisdom in conflict is not, what can I do to gain an advantage Godly wisdom in conflict is, what can I do that brings the most glory to God? And what we can do that brings the most glory to God in any conflict, in any situation, is to act in a way that brings others to God and reminds us of our own need of purification and repentance. So God looks at our situations and God looks at our conflicts and his desire is for all of us on both sides to come to him seeking forgiveness. Not to try to defeat each other. So the third question that this drives me to that goes along with this is, so why is this wise? And, and we've already started to answer that question. It's wise because when we seek to serve others, and we seek to serve them not with a motivation of to, to prove how much better we are and not with a motivation of, of gaining rewards from God, but rather when we seek to serve others out of a heart of truly seeking God, we're joining in, we're becoming a part of what God is doing, his redemptive plan, God's whole plan and purpose in the world 
is to bring sinners to repentance, to bring him greater glory. And when we serve our enemies, and and by doing so, we lead them closer to an idea of who God is and his holiness, then we're a part of what God's up to in the world. It also has, it does have a, a human benefit. It does have, you know, we talk about wisdom. It is wise because, again, our inclination in conflict is fight or flight. Neither of those will ever solve our conflicts. Conflict perpetuates conflict. And our usual response to engage stronger, to fight harder, to try to win, just makes the conflicts worse, doesn't it? Our idea of we're going to try to hide doesn't make anything better either. It just makes the conflicts simmer. It creates bitterness. It increases the pain. So what Solomon's saying to us is if you actually want to end conflict, you don't end a conflict by winning the conflict. You end a conflict by serving your enemy. I can hear all of that. I can intellectually digest what's being said here. I can agree Absolutely. That is wise. That is some good advice. I can even look back on my past and see how if I had applied that, uh, my life would be better because I could have solved and ended conflicts much sooner in a much more God-honoring way. But the truth of the matter is, As much as I can intellectually assent to all of this, emotionally, I don't want to do it. I don't want to serve my enemies. So here's the last question today. Why? If this is so great, if this is so wise, if this is God's plan, why? In my heart, does it feel like death to think about serving my enemies? To think not intellectually, not in an abstract way, but to actually imagine and remember conflicts I've been in and to think how in those instances, I would actually seek the best for that person. And it feels to me like dying. Because in my own heart, and and I I don't know where you are, where you fall on the spectrum of, you know, fight, flight, passive, aggressive, whatever. But in my own heart, I want to win. And serving my enemy feels like losing. It feels to me like I'm admitting to them, you are right and I am wrong. It feels like I'm saying this conflict shouldn't be happening. It feels in a way like this word that that we so hate to use. It feels like I'm submitting to somebody else. It feels like I'm giving up, like I'm lying down. And I don't like that. 
I have within me this, this strong desire to come out on top, to prove that I was right, to prove that I am the victor. And on my own and in my own flesh, there is no way, man, I look at this, there is no way that I can on my own not just step back from a conflict, but engage by serving the person I'm in conflict with. I am not capable in my own human flesh of doing this. I'm not. There's no way. Because in my own mind, I can't wrap my understanding around this. It just feels like losing. And nobody, especially me, but nobody likes to lose. So where do I go with that? How do I look at this? Solomon is saying this. God is saying this to me through Solomon. And I read it and I intellectually assent to it, but I'm like, I can't do that. And I've got to remind myself, and, and, and here's the key. For me, the only way I can do this is to remind myself that my value, my justification, my approval does not come through winning. It does not come through proving myself to others. That who I am in my identity is bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. That all my value, all my approval is based not at all on what others think of me. It's based on what Christ did for me. And I have to remind myself of that. I have to remind myself of that daily. Because on my own, my desire is to prove myself, to win, to show others why I deserve their respect. And laying down and serving my enemy, to me, is not worthy of respect. And so I have to come back to this idea that I'm not worthy of respect. Look again at what Paul wrote in Romans. Vengeance is mine, says God. You know what I need to remember? I deserve that vengeance. Vengeance belongs to God. And when I read those scriptures, my, my first inclination is to think, yeah, God, get them. Vengeance is is on you. I'm going to trust you to really stick it to my enemies. Rub their faces in it. I used to, this is embarrassing, but I'm going to say it anyway. I used to almost fantasize about the day when one day I would be in heaven and God would go back through in front of all the people I'd ever been in a conflict with and show them how I had been right all along. And I would be justified on that day. And that's what I would hang, you know, hang my, my hopes on. Someday I'll be proven right. My, 
My position has always been nobody ever actually disagrees with me. They just misunderstand. And one day when all is known and everyone's eyes are open, then everyone would see why I was right. And then, and then I look at that and I think, I am a sinner in need of salvation just as much as, and, and honestly, honestly, more than anyone I've ever been in a conflict with. Vengeance is mine, says God, and I think to myself, if God really doles out vengeance on everyone who deserves it, I am in big, big trouble. And I can't sit back and laugh and say, ha ha, you're getting what you deserve, because what do I deserve? I deserve death. My only hope of purification is through Jesus Christ. My only hope of salvation is through a repentance that leads to faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for me. I'm not going to justify myself by my actions. I'm not going to prove that I was right and I was good enough. And if I think for some reason in my mind that I'm, I'm better than the person I'm in conflict with and so I need to win because I'm right and they're wrong, the truth is all human beings are equally guilty. Scriptures put it this way, we all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And when I view it through that lens, when I step back and I say, I, I'm not deserving of any of God's blessings. That's the only thing that can free me to serve my enemy and to serve them with a motivation of desiring to see them find purification, find atonement, to see them find forgiveness through God is the reminder of my own need for that forgiveness. So here it is again. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. It's so counterintuitive. It runs against everything I believe about the way I should work, about the way the world should work. But God tells me to do it and he says, because in doing so, I will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward me. So as we reflect on this this morning, a couple of questions to think about. First of all, let's, let's make this practical and let's make this real, okay? Instead of thinking abstractly about enemies, in your own heart, in your own mind, are there any conflicts that you have going on? I'm going to guess that you were in some sort of conflict this week at some point. And maybe it's still simmering. Maybe you won. Because you went in there and you fought hard and you broke that person down and you proved you were right. 
either through, through, through force of emotion or through your logical explanations or in some way you came out on top. And yet, you don't feel like you won, do you? Or maybe it's still simmering there. And you're afraid. You're afraid of losing. And you're playing over and over in your mind what you're going to say and what you're going to do. And maybe it's kind of stepped back, but you're actually kind of hoping for it to flare back up because you've got your one-liner ready now. And so here's the question. What would it look like in that conflict, instead of fighting, to serve? Instead of going in ready to win, going in ready to submit. Let's all be honest, it doesn't feel good. Okay? It does not feel good. It feels like losing. It feels like dying. And yet, and yet, it's wise because it leads to a greater reward. I'm going to put some questions up on the screen to reflect on. As you think about these things and pray through them, I I want you to remember all of our problems and all of our, our conflicts and all of our difficulties obeying the scriptures are our belief issues. When we don't follow what God said, it's actually because we're having a hard time believing something about him or about ourselves. Do you truly believe that God is the one in control? And do you truly believe that he will repay the vengeance belongs to him? And do you truly believe that you are as deserving of vengeance as anyone you're in a conflict with? Let's look through these. In my, in my conflicts, am I more inclined to fight, to flight, or to service? I doubt most of us are more inclined to service. Where do you fall normally? Are you somebody who wants to get in there and, and mix it up? Or are you somebody who'd rather just step back and hope it all goes away? Do you see the third way? In what practical ways could I be serving my enemies. Again, we would rather, I believe most of us, say, I can say in my mind that I love my enemies. How can you put action to it? And then here's the, the kind of the root issue. Where are you seeking approval and justification? Are you seeking it from God through Christ? Or are you seeking it from people through your victories? Is it important to you that other people see you as winning? Is it important to you that you find some sense of, even though it's shallow and it's not real, some sense of external peace? Or are you seeking your approval, your justification, your peace from God through Christ? These are heavy, difficult issues, no question about it. None of us, none of us could say that this is something that we've got wrapped up. As you wrestle through these things, if you'd like us to pray for you, 
Or if you'd like to talk through some of these things with us, uh, I would encourage you in your bulletin, there's a response card. If there are issues, if there are conflicts, if there are things that you need prayer for, please write it on there. The leaders uh, uh, at Trailhead, we, we go over those cards. We pray for you. We can meet with you if you need to. Let us know. You can fill out the cards. You can drop them in the boxes up uh, by the commu- on the communion table or in the boxes on your way out. Let us know how we can pray for you because this is tough, tough stuff. Wisdom, wisdom's not easy. Walking in wisdom is not a simple thing. It can be heavy. And it can feel at times, true wisdom at times can feel like it goes completely against everything we believe we should be doing. The promise we have from God is that it is ultimately more rewarding. We're going to have a time of prayer, of quiet reflection, then we're going to have communion together. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, this is heavy, heavy stuff. You ask us, as followers of Christ, you ask us to do things that on our own we would never want to do. Things that in our hearts truly don't even seem like the right thing to do. And yet you tell us this is wise. God, in many ways, I feel like what what I most need today is humility. Humility to believe you, to trust in you, that, that when you say something that runs counter to every inclination of my own brain, that I would trust in you, that you are greater, that you are wiser, that you know more than I do. And then, God, I need your grace to be able to do it. To not just say I love my enemies, but to put into action service towards those with whom I am in conflict. So, Father, please, again, as you do so often, meet me, meet us here. Speak to our hearts. Help us to be moved, not not just to hear these things and then to go out and to forget them, but to be moved to action by what you've asked us to do. And we can do it only, and we ask this solely through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, in just a moment, we're going to share communion together. In Romans 5, verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I'm in awe this morning of how appropriate communion is, is a response to the message we've heard this morning, in response to the passage that we've been encouraged with, knowing that we as sinners made ourselves enemies with God. In our passage, it says for our enemies were to, if they're hungry, to give them bread. And this morning we come forward and we tear off a piece of the bread representing Christ's broken body. The passage says if our enemies are thirsty, to give them something to drink. And we take the bread and we dip it in the cup representing Christ's spilled blood. 
we do this to remember what it is that Jesus has done for us. And I love what Aaron said about the conflict being ended. That Jesus has served us in order to end the conflict. So we can remember that as we come forward. Whether we carry guilt or shame, recognizing that we are sinners. Or come thinking that we're independent, that we don't need God. And this is to remind us that Jesus has ended the conflict. There's nothing else that we have to do, but we come and we humble ourselves and we accept and we partake. And it is a gift for us to do that. So I want to invite you this morning to remember that, to remember the grace that has been given to us. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor, but there's nothing that you have to do. So come and eat this morning and partake with us as family.